0: This is Worlds of Game Space, where we explore themes of architecture, urbanism, infrastructure, and design through video game worlds. So the first game I'm going to delve into is one that really broke the mold for me in how unique and enrapturing the setting was. It's a game that manages to merge philosophy, economics, science, industry, political ideology, and, above all, compelling urban and architectural design elements. Although this game is nearly 10 years old, I thought it would be a great game to kick off this series. That game is Bioshock, developed by Irrational Games, published by 2K Games in 2007. If you've never played it, you can pick up the remastered version released last year. And go play it, would you kindly? Actually, I'm going to try to not spoil any major plot points or the game ending, but I'm definitely going to talk about specific elements and how the city came to be. Overall, I'm here to really focus on the setting and the design elements of the game. So, as an overview, Bioshock is a first-person shooter, but it's not a typical FPS in that the game is much less about the shooting and much more about the story. Although there's a linear narrative, it flows so well. The pacing is smooth without any real cutscenes or interruptions in gameplay. Ken Levine was the creative lead, and Scott Sinclair was art director at Irrational, and the game was conceived of as a sort of spiritual successor to the System Shock series that they had worked on prior. Not in terms of the same world, it's a completely different world, but more in terms of similar theme and gameplay elements, for example, hacking and augmentation in a cyberpunk style. But Bioshock is much more complex than that would seem to suggest. To me, the cyberpunk genre seems to suggest futurism, but this game is actually set in 1960, and it tells the story of what happened leading up to that time. To start off the game, you play as a character called Jack whose plane is crash-landed in the mid-Atlantic ocean. You swim to a lighthouse which stands as a beacon silhouetted against the moon. Inside, a bright red banner reads... No gods or kings, only man. Beneath a gold statue of a man looming high over your head. The interior is adorned with gold-plated coffers standing in contrast with the simple stone structure. You walk down the steps and reach a type of small, open hull with wood floors and plush red seats, and a lever in the middle. You pull the lever and descend, in a type of elevator that quickly lets you know you're descending not by floor but by fathoms under the sea. Ten fathoms. Another statue of a man. 18 fathoms. Fish swim before your eyes. And then, well, I'll let Andrew Ryan introduce you to Rapture.
1: I am Andrew Ryan, and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. artist would not be censor, where the scientists would not be bound by petty morality, where the great would not be constrained by the small, and with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well.
0: A whale swims by, plankton and ocean plants are growing amidst the city you find yourself in, a blue-green haze touching everything. There are tall skyscrapers, ocean scrapers? With bright neon signs indicating the Pharaoh's Fortune Casino, Fleet Hall, and more. Your travel pod is directed along a minimal open metal track tube, and at the building entrance there's an indication of the Rapture Transit Authority. Once inside, the feeling of glorious wonder dissipates at once when you witness a murder committed by a humanoid creature with shiny hooks for hands and a deformed face. She violently shakes her transit pod, but eventually walks away. You hear a staticky voice giving you instructions to kindly pick up that shortwave radio within the transit pod, and when you do, the voice introduces himself as a guy named Atlas. He guides you around during the game, aiming to save his wife and son. You learn the transit pod system is called the bathysphere, and the humanoid creature is known as a splicer. You find a glowing red needle in a vending machine and inject yourself with a plasmid, what looks quite painful, but you're told that your genetic code is being rewritten and that everything will be fine. Sure. Now I'm going to step back from the linear gameplay and talk about issues more broadly. And the main draw to the game, for me anyway, is this amazing conception of the city of Rapture, built entirely underwater. In literature and fiction, we've come across underwater cities before, most notably Plato's Atlantis. But whereas the story in Timaeus is that the fictional island of Atlantis attacks Athens, is held off by Athens, and then falls out of favor with the gods and sinks into the sea, Rapture was never a city above water. It did not sink, but was instead intentionally built below sea level. One of the quotes in the game is found in an audio diary from the game character of Andrew Ryan, the city's creator, who says, To build a city at the bottom of the sea? Insanity. But where else would we be free from the clutching hand of the parasites? Where else could we build an economy that they would not try to control, a society that they would not try to destroy? It was not impossible to build rapture at the bottom of the sea. It was impossible to build it anywhere else. This begins to explain Ryan's intention behind the creation of Rapture. He wanted to build a city hidden away from the people he deemed parasites. And as you heard in his introduction before, he did not believe in the government, in religion, in collective society, but instead in individual rights and freedoms. He wanted to create a capitalistic economic society of free-minded individuals where the self was valued higher than all else, And any means necessary to further individual accomplishments was allowed over traditional moral codes. If this is sounding to any of you like a page out of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, well, you'd be right. The philosophical underpinnings of Bioshock's story is inspired by Ayn Rand's objectivism, and that's all I'll say about that. But we know that Ryan's intention was to create a utopia, a place and society in his mind that would be perfect in this newly created place of rapture. It's not too different in theory from Thomas More's Utopia, which was actually inspired by Plato's Atlantis, but was an intentionally built new island to support like-minded religious and political ideas, a new perfect realm of archetypal ideas. Rapture takes the secluded island idea even further, cutting itself off from the above world by building it below the sea, creating an underwater enclave. It's not a commune based on social community, altruism, or the greater good such as Win Stanley's proto-socialist communes or Fourier's utopian socialism or even Kallenbach's ecotopia. Rapture is a self-selecting utopian enclave, aware of the outside world above but very pointedly disengaging by creating anew, a closed-off city hiding in such seclusion, not advertising or welcoming with open arms unless an individual is made aware and seeks it out. And who would those individuals be? Well, Rapture was intended by Andrew Ryan as a place where the world's best and brightest would have complete freedom to do their work, be it creative, industrial, scientific. To contextualize the motivations of this fictional game character, Andrew Ryan, is to go a bit into his backstory. Ryan lived in Belarus and escaped just before it became a part of the Soviet Union, which explains his hatred for the tyranny and communism. In the United States, he became a self-made man, an industrial mogul and business magnate. In that position, he saw workers' unions and collectivists and organized religion as hindering man's potential. The tipping point was the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which ended World War II. Ryan was convinced humanity would end in nuclear destruction, so he gathered together the most talented people he knew and trusted to build and live in rapture many of whom shared his ideals, but others who he may have just paid to do their work. I suppose the safest place, aside from reaching another planet, to build his city to escape nuclear destruction of the surface would be to build leagues under the sea, on the seafloor itself. Of course, we have to have a certain suspension of disbelief to go along with the idea that an entire city could feasibly be constructed underwater, especially in such little time. At the seafloor, no less, the crushing pressure itself would make it incredibly difficult. But underwater construction is not only possible, it's been done before. For example, in the 1960s and 70s, underwater research laboratories were popular. There's only one in operation today, Aquarius Reef Base in the Florida Keys. It's owned by NOAA, the National Ocean and Atmospheric Administration, and operated by the University of North Carolina Wilmington. The structure is an 80-ton cylindrical chamber attached to a 116-ton base plate for a foundation. It's located 63 feet underwater and and 3.5 miles offshore. It does have a live-work area, main lock and entry lock that has a bathroom, electrical panels, communications, and life support systems. The airlock itself connects the two portions. Aquarius also has a wet porch that offers entry to the sea through a moon pool, which keeps the chamber at ambient pressure, the same pressure as the water outside, which lets workers return to the surface without having to use a decompression chamber. And aside from the research lab, there's also the hotels hoping to cash in on the novelty of sleeping underwater. It's a really neat concept, I'd love to go. And it's been done before at the Water Discus Hotel in Dubai and Poseidon Resorts in Fiji. Uh, Now sure, these very localized instances are cool, but there are many more issues at stake when we're talking about the scale of an entire city. One of the problems is how to get around. That's where the Rapture Transit Authority comes in, with the bathysphere, the transit system you use in the game to travel from sector to sector. The game's bathysphere was inspired by the real-world bathysphere system invented by Otis Barton and John H.J. Butler in 1928. It was an unpowered spherical deep sea submersible that could be lowered into the sea on a cable. It was meant to study undersea wildlife, and Barton and Butler actually went on dives with naturalist William Beebe off the coast of Bermuda, which did a lot for marine biology at the time. If you want to know more about the bathysphere in real life, I'd recommend checking out the podcast 99% Invisible. They have a really great episode on it that I learned a lot from. They also posted a picture of the first anthropomorphic diving suit by Carmagnoli brothers from the 19th century, and wow, it's a dead ringer for Bioshock's Big Daddy suit. I'd have to imagine that that was one of the inspirations. Back to Rapture as a whole. To the best of my knowledge, Andrew Ryan never refers to his underwater city as a utopia. But Rapture is more of a true utopia than others in film and literature meaning yu, not, and topos, place, in that it's a not place in the traditional sense of topos being literally grounded. At the very least, it redefines place or what place can be. A plot of land now becomes an appropriated portion of the sea, an aquatic zone, In concept, locating the city of Rapture under the sea makes sense during the 1940s as it was seen as outside the typical geopolitical boundaries considered international zones. That's also one of the reasons I imagine the game writers chose the year after World War II ended to build Rapture. Aside from rebounding from the chaos, if it were set in the earlier 1940s, it would not go unnoticed by the surface world and would inevitably have taken a hit during World War II, especially set in the North Atlantic Ocean, somewhere between Greenland and Iceland, due to the role of U-boats and submarine warfare in the Atlantic Ocean during the war. So, when Rapture was first built, the sea would be the perfect place to avoid geopolitical jurisdiction. As we know, crimes committed on cruise ships are notoriously difficult to persecute, and that makes for murky waters. It's complex. In 1982, the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Seas was created and ultimately implemented in 1994. It outlined regulations for nations both exclusive to each nation and in partnership with each other. Now, I may be getting some things wrong, but to the best of my knowledge, this is how I understand it. Essentially, a nation has the right to use the ocean and its resources up to 200 nautical miles from its coastal baseline point. But outside of that zone, it's considered international waters and must allow safe passage of ships from other nations. Within that 200-mile zone are other boundaries allowing different usage. The closest to land is 12 nautical miles away from a nation's land boundaries, known as territorial waters, where a nation can impose and use regulations for transportation, resources, and decide whether or not other nations can pass or if they pose a security risk. The zone just beyond that is the contiguous zone, 12 nautical miles beyond territorial waters, where a nation can enforce its own laws on customs, immigration, pollution, and taxation. And then the most broad zone is that 200 nautical mile zone from a nation's coastline known as the Exclusive Economic Zone. In terms of ocean geography, this zone often coincides with the continental shelf. In this zone, the nation can use the ocean resources such as fishing or oil mining, but also allows passage of foreign nations by air and sea so long as they follow the regulations of the host nation. So let's say rapture was built outside of any nation's exclusive economic zone in true international waters on the ocean floor of the high seas. No sovereignty would exist, and such it would be a terra nullius. No state controls it, but all states can use it. Certainly Andrew Ryan hated organized government and would not partake, but suppose rapture was discovered by other interested parties. He could take matters into his own hands, but would run into problems with universal jurisdiction, where any nation could claim criminal jurisdiction against an alleged crime no matter where it took place. Would he be tempted to engage government then to protect rapture, or be forced to the surface under universal jurisdiction? I guess we'll just have to wonder, because Rapture didn't make it that long. Of course, we know that as we enter Rapture for the first time. This city is not a perfect place living up to its potential, but instead has fallen into a scene of horror. This theme of falling from grace or the utopia gone wrong is inspired by George Orwell's 1984, as well as the 1976 movie Logan's Run. Possible good ideas upset by human flaws. And that's the truly ironic part of the story of Rapture. At its very inception, the new city was threatened to fail due to pressures of nature. Even these days, in reality, it's difficult to build an underwater tunnel, let alone a whole city that would be livable, fit for human inhabitation, with the same and greater amenities and comforts as the surface world. Of course, in the real world, there are many cities that exist below sea level, such as about a third of the Netherlands and other cities in below sea level depressions, caused by tectonic plate shifts. Of course, these cities don't exist in the water itself. While communities near the Dead Sea and Death Valley, for example, are arid and dry, some are in temperate climates and can be threatened by water. Even Death Valley can be prone to flash flooding during heavy rains. And in the cities currently above sea level, sea level rise is a threat. For example, in New York City, which felt the blow recently from Hurricane Sandy in 2012. Many landscape architects, artists, and engineers are working to improve coastal and infrastructure resiliency and to address the threat that water can pose. So Rapture was doomed to fail, but instead succeeded in construction. It was a city born of the sublime. The sublime of Burke, where there's pleasure and terror, of the threat that this city could leak and become inundated at any moment. The sublime of Kant, in that nature is far greater and more powerful than man, than the ocean itself is so great it's inconceivable. It evokes the 1818 romantic painting by Caspar David Friedrich, Wanderer Above the Sea of Fog. The man with his back to us in the painting stands on the rocks above the churning water, suggesting a mastery of man over nature, But without seeing his expression, we don't know if he's quietly terrified within. And so while rapture was doomed to be taken over by nature, the mastery of man's creation held strong, succeeding in its original mission. No gods, no kings, only man. But rapture succeeded too well. The individual man was indeed all that mattered, and man destroyed man himself, which ultimately destroyed the city. The pure capitalist society of rapture meant that there were no publicly funded programs. If you wanted food, healthcare, city services such as sanitation, police, or fire protection, you had to pay for it yourself. Even oxygen had to be paid for. During one part of the game, you happen upon this beautiful park landscape and discover all of the oxygen comes from the underwater forest that an intelligent botanist planted. She was disgusted that Ryan wasn't letting people use it for free, but only if they paid for it. But she shrugged her shoulders in the end because he only paid her to create it, not to run it. Corrupt business and labor practices were unregulated and unchecked, and while the idea was that there would be customer choice and self-selection, it was not that simple, especially for the less fortunate. Because they could, man exploited Rapture's freedoms. Rapture began as a city of inventors, scientists, builders, But man's flaws reigned supreme, addiction prevailed, and ultimately, man usurped man with nature and the expansive sea as an innocent bystander. So now that I've gone into depth about the setting of the game, I want to talk about the details of the architecture, art, music, and design of Bioshock. From its very beginning scene and the game's title, we get the sense of solid, heavy construction as to be expected to withstand the forces of the sea. I mentioned the lighthouse submerged as a beacon. It really harkens back to some other scenes, for example, the Tower of Babel, tall enough to reach heaven, which is well appropriate since the name of the city below is Rapture, with all of its religious connotations, meant to transport believers in Christ from earth to heaven at the Second Coming. Then there's also the Tower of Babel scene in Fritz Lang's 1927 silent film Metropolis, which is far less of a religious meeting, and instead is about the greatness of man. One conceiving the tower, but one alone could not build it, so hired for wages. The builders not truly understanding what the creator intended to do with it, and at the end of the scene, man destroys what was built. Again, man usurps man. Actually, much of the urban character that we see in Bioshock harkens back to that of Metropolis. Just submerge it under the sea and you'll have a very similar city. And a lot of that has to do with the inspiration for the design of the city in Metropolis and the design of the city of Rapture in Bioshock. Both are heavily informed by the Art Deco movement. Metropolis is a German expressionist film produced in the Weimar Republic after World War I, so it's responding to a different context than Bioshock. Yet, there are similar qualities in visual style such as high contrast elements, dramatic lighting, and taking cues from cubist and futurist design. Speaking of futurist design, the Bioshocked concept art for the Lighthouse uh, I'm going to be posting on the website It reminds me of Umberto Boccioni's Development of a Bottle in Space. It was originally a sketch made a sculpture in 1913 out of bronze. Boccioni was inspired by Marinetti's Futurist Manifesto, which broke with classical traditions and celebrated elements of modernity such as technology, the industrial, train, automobile speed, the triumph of man over nature. Of course, Futurism was influenced by Cubism, but the Futurists rejected the Cubist tendency towards rational abstraction of static form and instead glorified the machine and movement. Later in the 1920s, some Italian futurists went on to embrace fascism, so the art became politically charged. It's worth pointing out that futurism influenced both constructivism and the art deco movement, but the art deco movement was more based on cubism, which shied away from one strong ideological expression, and art deco became a true international style. In a way, it makes perfect sense that Andrew Ryan's preferred style would be a spin-off of Art Deco. It has elegant decoration and expresses monumentality, yet it's a truly international style, used in many, many countries. At the same time, rapture is also infused with an influence of futurism, celebrating the machine and man's dominance over nature, as well as expressing a political ideology. In Rapture, despite avowing his hatred for communism, Andrew Ryan has placed banners and permanent signage and inspirational quotes infused as part of the design, which gives undertones of totalitarian art and architecture, for example, Third Reich architecture, an art which was created to directly communicate and express one's supreme political ideology, and even propaganda that harkens to agitprop and Russian constructivist art or architecture. Some people who played the game have noticed the connection between Rapture and Art Deco, and they question the appropriateness or the believability that Ryan would choose the style to be used in the 1950s after it had fallen out of favor in the 40s. However, one of the reasons for its decline was because it was seen as too excessive and impractical during the war and the Depression when austerity and conservation of material was more important. But I'd argue that's exactly why Ryan wants to go back to Art Deco, because it's a reminder of a happier pre-war time, the Roaring Twenties, where scientific progress was being made and new building materials were able to be manipulated into grand decorations. And apparently that fit the game designer's intent. In an interview on IGN, which I'll link to on the website, the lead animator, Sean Robertson, noted, Art Deco is full of nice, solid shapes, You can make something Art Deco and it's automatically low poly and fits into a game budget perfectly because of its large, simple shapes. And it's true, Art Deco is characterized by trapezoidal patterns, sweeping curves and sunburst motifs made with new materials such as stainless steel, aluminum, plastics, and inlaid wood. For direct visual references between the game spaces and real construction, just reference the Titan Atlas statue at the Kashmir restaurant in the game and compare it to Lee Laurie's bronze Atlas statue outside of Rockefeller Center. Amongst the Rapture skyline, you can almost pick out William Lamb's Empire State Building or William Van Allen's Chrysler Building. The neon at Fleet Hall in the game could be a double for Radio City Music Hall. Phonographs of licensed music play from the 30s, 40s, and 50s as you explore the game, namely tunes by Django Reinhardt, Bing Crosby, Billie Holiday, Bobby Darin, and Noel Coward. Part of what makes the game so much fun is the stark contrast between the dark and ominous looming threats of Fallen Rapture with the uplifting big band music and scenes of what the city must have been in its short-lived heyday. It's a game that truly makes you wonder and keeps you guessing. And aside the initial suspension of disbelief, it's a capturing story and a hauntingly beautiful, immersive environment. Again, if you haven't played it, go ahead and take the plunge. It might take your breath away. Worlds of Gamespace was produced by me, Jillian Crandall. For show notes and other related content, visit our website at worldsofgamespace.com. Thanks for listening.